passage today is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of God for all people. All right, so imagine yourself you and I were on God's membership selection committee. We're up in heaven. He says, I want y'all to go and pick the people that are going to come up here and join us. So we're supposed to put together this profile of the sort of people that God will allow to come into heaven, right? So what sort of people is it that we need to look at? Surely we need to look at smart people, right? Those who are intelligent because God knows everything. So he certainly wants intelligent people to be there. So they, they better be smart. They also good looking. God created everything so that it's beautiful. That's a creation. You wake up and you look at a sunrise or a sunset and it's beautiful. God is the author of beauty. So beauty will be an important criteria for entering into the kingdom of heaven for sure. Powerful people, go-getters, the movers and shakers of the world, people who can get stuff done. That's who God would want. Wealthy people, power comes from wealth, and you've got to have resources in order to do stuff, so we need wealthy people on this thing too. And noble people, folks of high standing, folks of the Rockefellers and, of the world, and those who, who came into the world and have status, and, and uh, Queen Elizabeth and, I don't know their names, Harry and all them folks over there in England. <laughs> Charles, oh yeah, he's, he's the old guy. Yeah, he's not going to make it. Elizabeth has decided she's going to stay alive until it's too late for him. Royalty, sorry. Welcome to Bold Springs. Royalty would be a part of that. We want those folks, right? So we've got smart people, good-looking people, wealthy people, powerful people, noble people. We take that list, we give it to God, send it to his office, and he sends it back, and it's, and it's all in shreds. He ran it through a shredder or something. What? So what sort of people is God looking for? See, God sees things differently than we do. He sees things upside down, right? He sees them from a new perspective. 
In our passage for today, the Corinthian church was using that first kind of list, being proud of who they were and the stuff that they had and all of the gifts that they had. They were a talented, spiritually gifted church, and they'd become very proud of themselves, but they lost sight of something that is critical for us as Christians, Jesus. That it comes from Christ. That's where our importance needs to be. They displaced Christ with wisdom. They replaced the, the cross with their human ability. Put on air, slap each other. Aren't we doing good? You're speaking in tongues. That's cool. I'm prophesying. And then Paul pulls the rug out from under him and says, Okay, hang on. He turned their world upside down. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Paul's informing them two things. First, he demonstrates to them the truth that the gospel is foolishness to the world. The world looks at Christianity and some of the claims that we make and they go, that's just not true. That's foolish. And God chooses and uses people who are weak and foolish by the world's standards. And Scripture shows us that from the oldest of the Old Testament. I mean, you see problem child after problem child all the way into the New Testament. It's upside down. So the first thing he does is he shows them the truth that the gospel is going to look upside down to the world, and that's okay. And then he follows that up with a second point, and that's that he, real Christian wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God, is more critical than any wisdom that comes from human beings. It's not that we don't strive to learn, because please do. Question. But God's wisdom trumps our wisdom. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. I think if we went around the room, we would probably not have very many Prince Charleses in the room, right? Most of us come from a humble or somewhat humble beginning. And Paul holds up this mirror and he says, you know, you're proud of your new wisdom and gifts from God. You're proud of them, but don't forget where you started. Remember, you weren't wise by human standards. You weren't powerful. You weren't all of these other things. God chose a bunch of nobodies back then, and guess what? God still does. Are you flawed? Good. You make mistakes? Good. You perfect? Liar. <laughs> we all struggle and stumble and make mistakes along the way. God's okay. See, he doesn't expect you to be perfect. He wants you to strive for the best that you can be. But perfection, that's what the world's trying to convince you that you have to be before you can come to God. God says, no, I expect you to come as you are. Come as you are, it's okay. In fact, I'd rather you came as you are than pretended to be something you're not. The overlooked, the ignored, the unwanted. That's who Jesus chose, right? Let's look at Jesus there just real briefly. Who were the three that were closest to him? Do you remember the three? 
Peter, James, and John. They were the three that were closest to him. They were fishermen. That doesn't make sense. If you're, gonna, if you're the son of God and you're going to choose the, the best and the greatest, you're going to go to a boat and pull them off a fishing boat? Yeah. You're going to go get Matthew, a tax collector despised by the people? The world looks at, the, looks at him and says, there's no way we hate him. Jesus says, come on. Another short tax collector climbs up in a tree, Zacchaeus. Jesus calls upon him to go and spend time with him, and it changes his life forever. Jesus hangs out with those who the world would not hang out with. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. It's upside down. It's upside down. One of the ways that we can probably check on where we are in our faith journey doesn't make sense to the world because then we might better check on it. And that might not be God's path. But I do think that one reason God chooses the people he does is so that we're all on the same footing. There's not one of us in here that's better or worse than another. We start from the same place. We stay at the same place. We're on a journey together. Alice and Ginger joined us on a journey together. We are the body of Christ. It's who we are. We do it together or we don't do it well. The body doesn't need another Mike Divine, but it certainly needs a Ginger Ewing and an Alice Soroka. It even needs a Steve King, believe it or not. <laughs> and a Colby Zeretic. The body of Christ is us together, and we're at our best when we are all part of that and active in it. God, though, is the God that saves us. No human being can boast before God. God is the one who rescues. God is the wise one, the mighty one. He's, he's not won over by the things that the world, you know, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, that doesn't impress God. Doesn't matter how smart you are, that doesn't impress God. Humility might. But God is the God who saves. I know sometimes we take that on. I know it's a challenge for me sometimes to think that I have more to do with that than I actually do. God is the changer of the heart. Not you, not me, not them, whoever the them is. It's God. God is the one who does it. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to boast about stuff? See, you get to do that. Let me tell you what God's doing in my life. You want to boast about something? Boast about what God's doing in your life. How cool is it that God is moving? God is, and He's moving in our lives, and things are happening in us and around us. God made Jesus life for the dead. He made him rise from the dead, but then he made him life for the dead. We were dead until he rose. This is Ascension Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. Ascension. Jesus rose. He rose. The cross was empty. God is wisdom for the unwise. Righteousness. We aren't righteous, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, God indwells us and our righteousness comes not from us, but from him. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. Purifies us. Sanctification is just a big, long word for He cleans us up. Takes away the junk. Wipes us clean. 
upside down from what the world would do. But he loves to surprise the world and do things differently. Corinthians has been boasting about all the wrong things. They think they're mature, and here comes Paul to say, no, you need to grow up. That's what you need to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks about the apostles and the way that they were. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Speaking to the Corinthian church, talking about we as apostles. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, are poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Yet when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The apostles. Weak, scum, rubbish of the world. You know, for the Corinthians who are into wisdom, power, and nobility, Paul might be a little bit of an embarrassment, right? Yeah, you know who founded the church of Corinth? Paul. See, Paul had this message, and it's not a complicated message. It's a simple message. It's our message. He brought to them the simple message of Christ crucified. God became human, became human flesh. Inhabited human form, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He told them about God on a cross, that he died for us, that we could never wash our sins away, but he could. He told them of an empty tomb, that they took him off the cross, they put him in a tomb, they rolled a stone in front of it, and Christ rose from the dead. And then he told them of Jesus' kingship, that God loves us so much and wants us to have the kind of life that is amazing. Maybe not by the world's standards, but an abundant and full life where you can get through anything with peace and joy and a sense of the presence of God that you can't get anywhere else. It's a message of freedom that you don't have to abide by the law all the time. It's not about the law. The law is fulfilled in Christ. Pay attention to doing right and wrong, but don't get bound up in the law. There's a freedom in the message of Christ. That was Paul. That's what he brought to the church. His message is about changing the way we think about the way that we think about ourselves. Changing the way that we think about the way we think about ourselves. Any of y'all struggle with love your neighbor as yourself because you don't like yourself? Change the way that you think about the way that you think about yourself. You're a child of God. Child of God. He loves you. He sees worth in you. So his message is about changing some things. The way you think about yourself, change the way that you think about the sort of people that it is that God is interested in, about what we need to understand 
in this letter, indeed in all the Bible itself, it forces us to begin to think about things from a new perspective in a different place. If we're going to live the life of Christ. It forces us to ask some really difficult questions that we don't ask very often. Because they're difficult, I think. Who is it that Jesus hung out with? Am I doing the same? Do I live a comfortable style of Christianity? Did Jesus? Where am I in my journey and is, and is it where Christ is calling me to be? Where is he calling me to be? Did I settle for something less than what he would have for me? Tough questions, right? Difficult. We don't think about them often, but we need to think about them to continue to evaluate and to look at our lives. Am I fulfilling that which God has called me to fulfill? What is my part in the body of Christ? Am I playing my role? Am I an ear and trying to be a leg? Am I an eye trying to be a toe? He offers us a life of abundance. But that doesn't come without self-examination and a level of sacrifice. We can't fulfill what the world wants of us and follow Christ fully. Amen? That can't happen. If I'm going to follow the world, then... I'm not going to be able to follow Christ because he was upside down to the world. And it won't make sense to those around you, I can assure you of that. When you go all in for Jesus, there's going to be some folks in your life who go, oh, hang on. That's okay. That's okay. They're not even bad people. The Christian message is foolishness to the world. But we can take solace in the fact that God's foolishness is wiser than worldly wisdom. Christians, we, as Christians, we boast in God. We don't boast in ourselves. And our maturity is about God's Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit of God, not our own wisdom. Having the mind of Christ. It's making Christ the priority. Not a third or fourth. It's making God the priority in life. And that's not exactly easy. You want to know what your priorities are? There's three little questions to ask. What do you think about? What is it that you think about day to day? Where is it that your mind spends time? Where do you actually spend your time on? What is it that you do? And where do you spend your money? Because we can say our priority is whatever, but if you look at those three things, what do I think about? Where do I spend my time and where do I spend my money? You will get, you'll honestly get your real priority. It will tell you where you are. Another tough question is, what do you take pride in? Is there something I boast in other than God? In Wednesday night's class, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit. For me, there's a temptation. You know, I've been to more school than I would care to admit. And I'm pretty well trained as a counselor. I'm pretty well trained as a seminarian and have a lot of training, theological training and other things. And it's a temptation for me to lean to, the, to my training and my head, my knowledge, 
and I forget. The most important thing is to know God himself. That stuff's good as long as I don't let it become my idol, right? Uh, I served on a walk to Emmaus here recently and one of the women on the walk is a pastor and she didn't tell her table community um, at Walk to Emmaus when you're hearing the talks and stuff you're at a, at a group of, of six to eight others who uh, we call it a table community so afterwards you'll have discussions and she didn't let them know she was a pastor she didn't lie to them because she does write curriculum she said I write curriculum was what she did because you know that's one of the first questions we ask what do you do? The reason she didn't is, is a valid one, really, because if you say, I'm a pastor, you know what happens in every discussion when you're talking about Christian stuff? It's, you know, I just hear, hear a talk on Christian action, and it's like, what do you think? You know? It allowed her to be a daughter of the king, to be just a member of the body of Christ. And I heard her at a gathering a little bit later, and she talked about that, that she had lost sight of that. See, one of the challenges for those of us who teach, not just pastors, but teachers, Jerry, Randy, Kit, you know, those of us who, who teach, is that we can let ourselves become so involved in the teaching that we lose the relationship. You know? Because first and foremost, I'm a son of the King. I'm a child of God. I need to maintain that. And I have a tendency to rely on how smart I am. What do you take pride in? It's an important question. We're to boast in the Lord. Now, if you've never accepted God's message before and it's always seemed like foolishness to you, I get that. And I want you to know it's always going to seem like foolishness to you. If you're trying to understand God with human, through the lens of human wisdom... It's just not going to happen. You know, you'll learn about God, which is good. Keep doing it. But you come to know God when you let him in. And that's a deeper thing. And if you'd like to have discussion about that, I'd love to meet with you and talk with you. And I know there's several others as well that would be willing to have those kind of discussions with you. To all those who are believers this morning, I want to emphasize something. I want to close with this. Please hear this. You have a story. You have a story. And it's an important story. It's a story that God wants to use to reach other people. Sometimes we come in and think, well, my story, you know, I'm an addict and alcoholic and I got bizarre, I got the B-I-Z-A-R-R-E stuff in my past, you know, because I did stupid stuff, which makes for a great testimony. I have a friend once who said, man, I wish I... I wish I'd have used, but used, or, or you know, been a drug addict. I, no, no, you really don't. But his point was, I have a boring story. I've been in church my whole life. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been around Jesus. I've always known that, that God was there. And it was later that he learned about a passionate relationship with Christ. The interesting thing that happened when he did share that story was he had a whole lot more people come up and talk to him about how relevant that was to them. He had a group of people to reach. And that's my point. You have a story. Your story matters. Don't minimize 
your story. God will use it in ways you can't imagine. In fact, there are those who you can reach who I never will. But you've got to share your story. See, God's not going to force you or me to share our story. He's going to provide us opportunities to do so, and then it's up to us. Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to trust in Him? Are you willing to boast in what He's going to do? And if you are, you're going to see some amazing things happen.